like to eat too much, and we like to, too much to eat. And uh, I know I'm guilty of that. And Shirley keeps reminding me of that. Don't put so much on your plate. Eat your vegetables. We're going to talk about vegetables in a minute. As I was thinking about this, I was wondering, have you ever thought or asked the question, why is it that God made us that we need to eat? Did you ever think about that? You know, uh, sometimes we just assume so much about life. Uh, if, if I understand, and I'm, you know, I'm not 100% sure on this, you know, I don't think the angels eat. They're spirits, okay? They're, they're not sitting down on a three times a day, as they say, for the squeeze three squares, right, Larry? The three squares a day. They're, they're not doing that. They're spirits. They don't need, have a need for food. And God made us, human beings, to live on this planet. And in the creation, we'll look at that in a minute in our first scripture there, or I'm sorry, the second scripture, that... We need to eat. We're part of this earth ecosystem, all right, in which we need to breathe the air, drink the water, and eat certain food in order for us to be healthy, in order for us to, to do what we need to do and to uh, procreate and to enjoy life. We need to eat. So God made us that way. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, for us to be constantly reminded that we are dependent human beings. We are dependent beings. That we need something outside of us to keep us alive. We're not alive on our own. As we, uh, as we were studying on Wednesday night uh, about immortality. We don't have immortality yet. We are subject to death, and we need to eat in order to live. If we don't eat properly, we die. We die. But then the other thing I was thinking about it was this. Is God constantly reminding us, because we need to have food on a regular basis, that we also need to have food for the soul if we're to really live and exist and to grow and have spiritual life. And I think that's part of it. Let's go to John chapter 6 to, for our first scripture there. And Jesus here is talking with some of his uh, fellow Jews. And they were talking about uh, Moses, you know, bringing the manna in the wilderness when the Jews were uh, trekking from Egypt to the promised land and they were fed by God. And uh, this is what... Jesus is talking about here. He says, Our father, the Jews say, Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And certainly that was true. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And a great response, we, we want that bread of life. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, 
and he who believes in me will never thirst. The manna was required for the bodily sustenance of the Jews as they trekked through the wilderness. We, as human beings, thinking spiritually, are also trekking through a wilderness, aren't we? As we travel through this life from birth to death, this life, this world is a wilderness. It's filled with troubles of all kinds. It's filled with sin and wickedness and evil and deception and distractions and everything that the devil can do to get us to fall down and worship him and to serve him and to love ourselves more than God. And so it is a wilderness. And Jesus is reminding people here that you need me to live, to exist, to get through this wilderness of life. So I think maybe every time that we think about eating, when we sit down at a table, and I know most of you have a blessing at the table and thank God for the food, perhaps we should also remember at that time as well to thank God for Jesus, who is our bread of life, who is the one that gets us through this life to life eternal. By the way, we're going to go to Genesis 1 here, and we're going to take a look at uh, how God has put food in our lives from the very beginning. He's, he's made uh, provision for that. But you see the title of the lesson there on your little uh, slip, Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. I thought that might arouse your attention a little bit. Don just pointed out to me and I, that's in a commercial now. Uh, I'd heard that many times before, but I, uh, I Googled that to find out where that actually came from. That somebody just didn't make that up. Came back, it came from that back in the 1970s in Las Vegas casino, casinos of all places. And I guess at that time, the casinos were offering a chicken dinner for $1.79. How about that? Dollar seventy-nine. I don't know what it was. Chicken, potatoes, vegetable, or something. And of course, they do that a lot to get you to come in there, right? Really cheap food. Sometimes they give it away just to get you get you in there to to blow your money. But anyway, they were dollar seventy-nine chicken dinner, and the average bet in those days was two bucks. All right, two bucks. So whenever anybody bet their two dollars and they won, whether it's at the roulette wheel or the, or the dice table, the, uh, the guy in charge there, he would yell out, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Man, he won two bucks so he could, get, he could go buy the chicken dinner that they were offering for $1.79. So that's kind of where that came from, but for us today, it's kind of just any kind of a good, good event, a good thing that happens to you. You know, if you win something or you... You had to get an award or something like that. You know, that's people say that often. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You're you're in. So, actually, we are going to have a chicken dinner later. <laughs> Lord willing. All right, that's on the menu, but it's not going to cost you a dime. So anyway, okay, let's go to Genesis one. 
from the beginning, God has provided food. You know, in the creation, you know, he set this all up. Genesis 1.29, And God said, Behold, I've given you, he's talking to the man, the man and the woman, every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. So God made the earth to be inhabited, 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 there it is. God made the earth habitable, uh, made it a beautiful place for us to enjoy and for us to be able to live here. And he said as he stepped back from the whole of, whole of creation, what did he say? It's very good. It's very good, and it's a beautiful place despite the fact that it is cursed, despite the fact there's sin in the world, it's still a beautiful, wonderful earth on which we live. And we need to look for the beauty and the goodness that God has given us on this planet. And it, it shows us, it, it, it screams God, it screams beauty, it screams truth, it screams goodness. All the good things that God has given to us. But here we see that God made the vegetation in mind, had that in mind for man to eat of and for the animals to eat of. And so in the beginning, we were all vegetarians. There was no eating of meat from the beginning. So you had to eat your peas. And you had to eat your carrots. And you had to eat your green beans and your spinach and your broccoli, right? And your asparagus and your Brussels sprouts. I see some long faces out there. Uh huh. But that's the way it was. And, uh, well, we had, we had the fruit, too. You know, had the, your pears and apples and bananas and all that. All the tree-yielding fruit. So that's what we had in the beginning, and maybe that's why we were a lot healthier, and maybe why we lived a lot longer is because we did just eat the vegetables and the fruits. Anyway, but things change. Let's go to Genesis 9. After the flood, there was a change. All right, the great flood, you recall, mankind became evil, turned away from God. They were wicked all the time, and God says, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm upset that I made man, I'm going to get rid of man. But said, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And so Noah and his family, eight souls were saved through the ark. You remember the story, they built the ark, the flood waters came, and all mankind and all the animals on the earth that were not in the ark, they all perished. They all perished. But as it seems, if you look at, look at the story, this brought great changes upon the earth and the earth's ecosystem. Before this, it appears that the earth was kind of a subtropical place, okay? But when we see the, you know, the heavens were opened up and the fountains of the deep and everything, that this caused a great change on the earth, great erosion and uh, the, uh, some changes with the seas. Some even believe that this is what then ushered in the Ice Age. 
okay? And why then God, as we're going to see, gives us meat to eat now. He authorizes it because of the great change in the climate that we'll no longer be able just to subsist on vegetables and fruit. So Genesis 9, 1, this is after uh, Noah comes out of the ark. Uh, the water subsided. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Remember, there's only eight people now. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. And to your hand they are given. This is something new. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I have given the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So we're still not authorized to eat blood to this day because we read in the book, in the scripture, that in the life, in the blood is the life. The life is in the blood. And so God does not want us to eat blood. But so now things have changed and we are allowed to eat the meat. And so this was a great day, I guess, for us, if you will, because now we've got uh, on our menu beef, pork, mutton, chicken, turkey, whatever, venison, fish, shrimp and lobster, for those of you who like that. And then for those of you who like such things as grasshoppers and crickets, you know, go for it. I hear they have a lot of protein. Seriously. And they're, uh, they're legitimate food for us. It's a great day then uh, for McDonald's, Burger King, you know, Wendy's, Red Lobster, Bob Evans, and all you backyard grillers, right? Backyard grill. I know some of you put the veggies on the grill, but most of the time it's something else, right? What, what, what are we making, Rick? Ribs? Oh, yeah, ribs, all right. pork chops, chicken, the old burgers and hot dogs, anyway. But then this also opened up the door for us to have our liver and onions, right? There we go. No, 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 no liver and onions, no vegetable. What, what do we eat? Pizza, right? I don't see pizza in here. Anyway, all right. So anyway, food, God, food, we need something to eat, we need something to sustain us, and God has seen the need, and he has been with us, uh, again, watching over us throughout all of history. Exodus 24, you know, God called the, the Israelites through Abraham beginning, and said to him, through him all the nations of the world would be blessed, meaning the Christ, the Savior, would eventually come. And uh, food was a big part of the history of the Israelites. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Um, when God came down, and you can read this in Genesis, and he was checking, as you will, checking out Sodom and Gomorrah, the wickedness there, because he was going to destroy those cities, and he eventually did. Abraham invited the Lord and the angels to come in and have a meal, didn't he? Of course, they were in human, uh, human form at the time, but he, 
He prepared the goat and had them come in and eat a meal. He offered that meal to them. Jacob got Esau's birthright and blessing from his father through food, didn't he? When Esau came out of the, in out of the field and he was famished, what did he do? He traded him the birthright for some red stew, right? Some pottage. And then he deceived his father Isaac in order to get the blessing with what? He brought in something that would have been prepared really by his mother to say, I'm Esau, remember the story? And he ate it and said, hey, this is good, and he gave him the blessing. So there was food right there. The story of Joseph centers around a famine, doesn't it? When all the earth had a great famine and they didn't have bread and Joseph in the dreams, Pharaoh's dreams interpreted him and said, Pharaoh, you need to start storing up the grain, right? Because we're going to have seven lean years. And so he did and that's when Jacob, his dad, and the, his brothers came down to Egypt to get the food, to get the grain. So there is food again. And as already, we already mentioned, when Israel came out of that Egypt then, after they got into slavery there, they had to eat the manna in the wilderness, and God provided that for them for 40 years as they wandered. So they needed sustenance, and God gave it to them, gave them the food. And that brings us to our Exodus 24. I, I love this passage. This really makes me think. Here uh, at Mount Sinai, you know, they, uh, they came to Sinai there. Moses went up, received the law, the Ten Commandments, and all these other commandments about the tabernacle and the priesthood and so forth. But early on in, in, all, in that uh, arrangement there, that time they were at Sinai, God invited Moses and some of the elders of Israel to come up into the mountain to be with him. Wouldn't that be thrilling? I, I, I can't even imagine being up there with God. But it happened. Now let's read this in Exodus 24, 9. Then Moses went up with Aaron, that was his brother, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. Well, that would be because they were with sin, okay? They, they had sin, but it says he did not stretch out his hand against them. And they saw God... Okay, that's all good, but now what does it say after that? And they ate and drank. Wow, what's that all about? They ate and drank, and I've often thought, where did they get the food? Did they pack a picnic lunch to take it up on the mountain? Did they even think about that? Did God even say anything about that? Or did God prepare that for them? Did he have it for them up there? And this reminds me, uh, all through the Old Testament, uh, even the Passover meal that they had uh, when they came out of Egypt, uh, of a covenant meal in which there was an agreement made between two parties. And they sat down to a meal, and usually there was an animal that was killed. And the idea was that just as this animal was killed and offered 
gave its life so we could make this agreement and enter into this covenant. So we are pledging our lives that we will not break this agreement that we are making as we sit down to eat this meal. It was a very solemn occasion for our folks in those days, the Israelites and even those before that, when they entered into a covenant and they gave their word that they would keep it. And so I kind of think this is a little bit what was going on here at Sinai when the elders ate with God in his presence. They were entering into a covenant. And of course, they did enter into a covenant later in which there were sacrifices made and all the people promised to keep the word of God. Then under the law of Moses, there were numerous feast days they celebrated. They celebrated the harvest, the ingathering. Uh, they had the Passover meal with them when the lamb uh, was eaten. Uh, so they, their lives really kind of revolved around food and the, and the, and the agricultural uh, movement of, of the seasons. So it's just amazing if we reflect on these things about how much food was part of people's lives. That brings us to the Lord in his ministry. Remember, he he fed the 5,000 with a few loaves, and and they fed the 4,000 again with a few loaves and fishes. He turned the water to wine at the wedding feast. And he was accused of what? Eating with publicans and sinners, right? He would go into their homes. These sinful people, everybody knew they were wicked, and they weren't keeping the law, but guess what? He went in there and ate with them. They invited him, and he went. And at times he even went in to eat with some Pharisees as well. And we're going to look at one of those instances here in a minute. Luke 14. The church, of course, is enjoined to walk in Jesus' footsteps. To help those who are in need, which includes those who are hungry. And to be hospitable, right? to show our hospitality to people, and that includes, you know, food, preparing meals for those uh, that come our way to be that kind of people. Well, in Luke 14, we're going to see that God isn't done. All right, he's provided for all this food for us that we need and has watched over his people throughout the years, but he's not done. As Jimmy led us in that one, that last song, Come for All Things Are Ready, he is preparing, if you will, another feast, a great feast. And some debate, you know, you know, what is it going to be like in the afterlife? Is it really going to be heaven floating around on clouds, or is it going to be a new heavens and a new earth, as Peter writes, in which some of these things that we have now might still be with us, and the curse will be lifted. You know, we can talk about that at another time. Let's go to Luke 14 and start with verse 12. And this, in fact, is the place uh, he had been invited to a, a feast. And he says, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. Okay? But when you give a reception or a dinner, 
invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Words of wisdom. I think we should take those to heart, that we are to be about helping those in need and those who are less fortunate, as we sometimes say. And God will see and will reward what we do. God keeps his promises, doesn't he? God cannot lie. And so when he says, I'll reward you for doing good to those in need and those who can't repay you, he will keep that word. And so we don't need to worry about that. Then look at verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him, you know, they're around the table, heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And amen to that. He was right. And Jesus is going to go on now and tell a parable about that. But truly, those in the kingdom of God, and I think he's talking about in the hereafter, you will be so blessed to eat in the kingdom of God. Things we never thought of, the the glory, the blessing, the peace. What, What a day, what a time that will be. To sit down, as it were, around God's table. Verse 16 then. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. Some, uh, some say their translations say a great supper, a feast. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Now in those days they sent the invitations out ahead of time because uh, first of all they didn't have like telephones and cell phones and all that. They didn't have a good postal system. So they had to notify these people by whoever was to come like by sending their slaves or their servants to notify them. And the other thing too was about the preparation. Sometimes they weren't quite sure when they were going to be able to have this dinner because they had to, you know, uh, kill the animal and prepare it. It wasn't like you could go down here to, to the market and get whatever you need and you knew you could, you could fix it on a certain day. So they had to get everything ready for this great feast. And, you know, how long does it take to to cook a couple sides of beef or whatever they had, a lamb or two? And so they they got the whole thing together. But the people were already invited. But then here's the deal. They send the slaves back out or the servants back out to say, okay, the dinner's ready. It's ready today. Come to the dinner. And that's what this is going on. Come for everything is ready now. I already informed you there's going to be a big dinner. It's ready now. I want you to come. Well, look what happens. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. All of these are, you might say, they're legitimate, okay? The legitimate endeavors and situations. But the point in the parable is that to be invited to this man's feast was a greater thing 
than what they were doing. And to be invited to the Lord's banquet is a greater thing than anything else that we would be doing in life. I mean, this is the one you don't want to miss, all right? This is the one you don't want to send back and say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. This is the big one. In the parable, as Jesus would explain it, as we think about it, this is really referring to his Jewish brethren, most of whom rejected him. All through their years, their hundreds of years of being God's people, he was always inviting them and saying, be ready, I'm sending my son, and it's going to happen. And as you read through the Gospels, you see that they were not ready for him. And in fact, of course, as Don so well said around the table, they rejected him and they had him crucified. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so these are the ones in the parable are offering the excuses, we're not coming. 21, and the slave came back and reported this to his master, and the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Here's a picture that the gospel goes into all the world, to all peoples, Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, every, every race, every nation. The gospel is for all. He says, go out and bring them in. He says, compel them in. You know, we can't twist people's arms and you know, that's not it. But here's, here's the talk of persuasion, reasoning. Think about this invitation that God has for you. 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. God has a line. God has a line. You reject him, he'll honor that. You say no to God, he'll honor that. He gives us freedom of choice. We need to remember that. He does all he can to get us to come, to come around that banquet table to serve the Lord, but he will not make you do it. He will honor your choice. It gets better. Our last scripture, I appreciate your being patient. Just turn back a page or two to Luke 12 where Jesus is encouraging his disciples to be ready. And this is come to the feast, be ready, come. God wants all to come to this great feast. Luke 12, 35. Be dressed in readiness, keep your lamps lit. Be like men are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that he may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. All right, now that's the parable and that's the picture, but here's the story. Here's what that means. That God is inviting you to his table in his kingdom 
in eternity, and he is going to serve you there. He is going to see that you are supplied with everything you need in the hereafter. Is that wonderful? You're not be working there, I don't think. You have to worry about do we have enough money to go down to Riesbeck? You have, we have, do we have enough to, uh, to eat today? All right. Do we have this or that? We won't have to think about that. No, it, it'll be taken care of. It'll be such a wonderful place of peace and joy and comfort and no worries. Everything will be lifted off your shoulders. Just come. All things are ready. I'll serve you. You serve me in this world. I'll serve you in the next. God is the host. It's his table. We'll all get to say that day. All those who get there. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. That's what it'll be. Gift from God. You close out. Come for all things are ready. If you need prayer this morning, we, we always offer that to folks who are here. If something's happening in your life, we'd be glad to pray with you. If you want to obey the gospel, give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we can assist you in that and being baptized into him for the remission of sins. We can help you with that. Brother Jim's going to lead us in this song. Please stand while he does.